0: this is the accounting influencers podcast with rob brown and martin bissett with rob brown and martin bissett how you are listening to the accounting influencers
1: podcast i'm rob brown and along with your co-host martin bissett we give you as accounting practitioners cpas accountants bookkeepers and the fintech people that serve them sell to themselves through them we give you critical insights best practice expert interviews market intelligence practical here's what works tips and occasional rants on the accounting and fintech world. The audience is accountants, CPAs, together with the networks, associations, vendors, and influencers who lead them, serve them, work with them. The full show goes live every Monday with daily segments featuring the news, special guest interviews, rants and practical here's what works Sessions so to stay informed to stay current and even gain an edge in the accounting fintech world this is your commercial podcast of choice thank you for joining us and
2: let's get on with the show Hey, Rob, I hope you're in the mood for a quiz because I've got a question for you. Who would you say is the world's first client engagement and commerce platform for professional services? Are you
1: talking about something that streamlines how accountants, bookkeepers, win new business, engage clients, get paid, those
2: kind of things? Oh, exactly that, yes. It's got to be Ignition. Ooh, right, first time. It's because with Ignition, you can easily win new business with impressive digital proposals. You can engage new and existing clients with a clear scope of work and get paid on time by automating payment collection all in one place. What I love about it is it connects with all the leading
1: apps to run a business on autopilot, automate those time-consuming tasks like client onboarding
2: or invoicing. And you know what that means? That means less admin and it means more time for clients. So it's easy for you, easy for clients, win-win. So what do people do if they want to find out more, Martin, about Ignition? To get an exclusive discount of 25% on all Ignition plans, head to our special podcast partners page at accountinginfluencers.com where the Ignition author
1: will be waiting for you. Hi, welcome to our Tuesday show. Rob Brown here fine solo. We generally have our news section on a Tuesday. We ask our, my co-host Martin Bissett to cast his eye over the news. He's aware doing much more important things than that this week. So I am picking up on a few stories that I have been interested in that have cropped up in recent times. And uh, I'm going to take you to a blog post by Virtual Cabinet. They're a vendor in the accounting space, and we'll put the link in the show notes. And it's entitled The UK's Best Cities for Accounting Jobs. Now, we have listeners all over the world here on the Accounting Influencers podcast. Uh, Our biggest audience is in North America, particularly the USA. Half of our listeners are from there. We have a good listenership in Canada and in the UK and the rest are throughout the world. So you may be asking, why is this relevant to me? Well, I've been doing a lot of work with accounting networks, associations, alliances and accounting firms on employer brand uh, in recent times. And uh, in, with my skills, if you deem to call them that as an interviewer, I do client work with these kind of people to interview them and tell their stories on why they are a great place to work. And why they're a great company, a great firm to hire with it, when it comes to new clients. But employer brand comes up a lot. And your employer brand is what people are saying about your firm in terms of, are you a great place to work? What are the talent people looking at in terms of your employable, employability promises? So when I came across this, the UK's best cities for accounting jobs, it, it dawned on me, as I'm sure you've realized, that does it really matter if you're working for an accounting firm that's in your own city. In today's remote and hybrid worlds, we hear stories of people working for accounting firms where they don't even go into the office. And to what degree do you care about that? So just picking up on this piece by Virtual Cabinet, they start off with a a very good contextual statement by saying, accounting is the process of recording financial transactions pertaining to a business. Quite right. The profession is nearly as old as money itself. Quite right. And with accounting history dating back to ancient civilizations in babylon mesopotamia egypt and the roman empire recording data has always been a notable pursuit and indeed it has that's why we tend to call it a profession instead of an industry because you work hard to rise up in that profession and you get worthy qualifications Uh, and it says in 1880 and i never knew this the first modern profession of accounting was formed and the institute of Chartered accountants in england and wales created many of the systems that accountants practice today. There you go, a little history lesson here. To those outside the industry, now they've gone and called it an industry. It may seem dull, boring, and uneventful, but accountancy is actually one of the most fulfilling careers. And uh, while we're talking about the ICAW, the ACCA also has some excellent work on accounting careers and the different ways your career might go if you come into accounting. And they go on to say in this virtual cabinet article, that's one of the key functions to almost every business without proper financial health checks, yes, we know this, a business can quickly get into trouble with their analytical minds, interpretation and adaptability skills and excellent communication skills. Thrown a lot of glory on accountants there. Uh, accountants are the foundations of any business structure. Okay, we'll give them that. They are integral to inform business decisions, profitable growth, and rigorous financially secure measures. All quite right and all duly earned. I don't know if accountants all have excellent communication skills, but let's leave that for a moment because we've got to get to the business in hand. There are different ways to enter the profession from studying a degree at university to securing an accountancy profession apprenticeship and if you're already in the profession you'll understand hard work and dedication are needed to progress through your training whatever stage you're at you may be wondering what's the best city in the UK for accounting jobs so you can see how they're teeing this up and apply this to your own country your own region and they pick the top 25 cities and it looks like they've looked at rankings on clerk, clerk pay accounting pay and manager pay and they've given them some ranking. So it seems to be all about money. Uh, I'm not sure that's totally the case with where you look for the best places to work. London, Manchester, and Cardiff in Wales came out as the top places in the United Kingdom. And uh, in justifying their selections, they say it's no surprise that London came out top. It's England's capital. It's got a population of over 9 million people with a plethora, that's a posh word for overabundance, of businesses and opportunities. also has a world-renowned financial district the historic city of london is home to the most notable office towers in the financial sector the gherkin the shard has the most accounting courses okay here we go so this is nothing to do with pay the most accounting courses with a staggering 169 training courses available through various establishments is that a factor in where you choose to work potentially the second city on the table was liverpool it has one city of culture But actually, Manchester, they said, was also high. Let's see what they've got to say about Liverpool. Great football team, of course. And uh, so Liverpool has 67. Okay, the second city on the table for accountancy courses is Liverpool with 67. So they're saying if you're looking for the best city for accounting degrees, then London followed by Liverpool is the best to offer. But the capital city pays the most. For accounting work, as you would expect, with the average salary for a clerk, an accountant, and a manager being above the natural national average. And you would expect that, wouldn't you, for a capital city? London also is the most expensive city to live in. Rent prices are sky high. And it says a little bit more about the cost of living for families and singletons. So they now they then go on to say a day in the life of an accountant living in London. They give a little bit of case studies. Manchester came second, Cardiff came third. At the bottom of the table was Sunderland, Middlesbrough, and Brighton. And then quite rightly, as it's their article, they have on to say how a virtual cabinet can help you with creating an account and document management software. So it's interesting. And, and they say a little bit at the end about their methodology, which is based on uh, pay, as we've established. So the news this week is what helps you decide where you want to work? Is it the city itself? Does that play a part? Does it have any kind of weighting in where you choose to lay your hat and put down some roots? Is it just where you grew up, where you did a university degree, where you have the most friends, where your family are, whether you want to choose something totally different? Would you move from the city that you're in for any particular factors or does it all actually come down to the employer brand? In other words, it's not the city it's not necessarily the town, the geographical location, it is the firm itself. It is their employer brand promises. It's their employee value proposition. It's been a great place to work. Uh, there's a football team called Villa Real. They have a population of 50,000 and they're in the semifinals of the Champions League football competition in Europe. It's a really small town, but they've got some really great footballers that earn millions of pounds a year that play for this team, that live in a town with virtually nothing. So it's about culture. It's about the brand of the football team, the kind of football they play. It speaks to employer brand. What are you doing as an accounting firm to attract the kind of people that might be supplemented by the location in which you're in, the town, the city in which you're based, but it's really about how great a place you are to work. It's a topic of mine is employer brand. I hope you've taken something from that in what it takes to attract employees. You might have to be fighting against being in a town where there's nothing much there. So you really have to up your game on being an employer brand of choice. But actually the town city where you are might complement what you're offering to potential employees in the war for talent. Do something. Employer brand is not a choice. You've got to be really intentional with it. And you're either fighting against or with the town that you're based in. And if you're an employee looking for a place to work, be interesting to think about your considerations in what makes a great place a great town a great firm somewhere that you want to live enjoy your day
0: improve your practice while decreasing how hard you work to make your firm really fly the accounting influencers podcast with rob brown and martin bisses
1: Welcome to our special guest interview this week, and I'm thrilled to have with me today an old friend from Moneypenny, Louise Wilson. Louise, hello to you.
3: Hi, Rob. How are you doing?
1: We're great. Louise, fabulous to have you on the show. For people that haven't come across you, just tell us in 60 seconds what you're all about.
3: Uh, So I work at Moneypenny, and we're the UK's largest outsourced communications provider. We're 24-7, and I head up the finance sector here. So I onboard all of our lovely accountancy firms for a variety of our services. So in a nutshell, that means we answer telephone calls for businesses. We answer their live chats for them and we make outbound calls for them. You're not an accountant. I'm not an accountant.
1: What is your view of the accounting profession from the outside? What kind of shape do you feel it's in right now? Because you speak to a lot of accountants.
3: Yeah, I think over the last two years, there's been a lot of great steps that have been made, particularly how firms have embraced uh, technology and digital aspects of running their firms. So we've seen a huge improvement over the last couple of years of um, accountants seriously thinking about how to communicate with clients Uh, not just the traditional ways. So right now it's really positive in terms of what they're looking at and how they do it.
1: Well, we're talking about what separates the good accounting firms from the great because COVID has put a lot of firms under the spotlight. Some have fallen a little bit short. Some have done exceptionally well. So what in your view separates the good firms from the great ones? Is it all about client
3: experience? I, I think it's all about brand values and consistently, when they're consistently delivered So um, and, and giving that positive client experience and that's just to the existing clients and it's also to those prospects that are making that first engagement. So, yeah, it's all about a positive experience.
1: Can we define what a positive experience looks like, feels like, the elements thereof?
3: Yeah, definitely. I think um, even more so, we've become more and more impatient as prospects and as clients. So if we're spending money with a firm, uh, we want to feel valued. So we, if we're ringing someone, we want to call back timely. Uh, we don't want to have to chase. When we're first ringing someone for the first time, we want to be wowed. We, w- we want to feel like, oh, wow, they answered their phones quickly. That person that answered the call was really warm and friendly and they were really helpful. That's definitely the kind of company I want to engage with.
1: The opposite of that, of course, being in COVID times, firms that put on the website, we're here to help. But when you call them, nobody picks up or they don't get back to you when you leave a message.
3: Yeah, nobody picks up, long ring times, no one rings you back. And then during COVID, even some of the really large firms, they put up on their website, we're all working from home, the phone lines are not available, please email. That was crazy because people were like, I need to speak to someone, I feel quite disconnected right now. So that wasn't great either.
1: It seems crazy though, doesn't it, Louise, that in these modern times, accounting firms that claim to be client-centric we're all about the client experience. They get these things wrong. So are they a little bit complacent? Are they a little bit ignorant? Are they a bit lazy? Are they a bit disorganized? What's going wrong with those that don't take client experience seriously?
3: I think I think it's a really common business practice that accounting firms look after their existing clients. And um, and, and we know why, because when you're a business, you, you tend to be very loyal to your accountant, you're with them for 10 years, or for the life of the business. So, um, and that reoccurring revenue is very protected. So existing clients, once you're in, um, they're very well looked after. But I think it's quite surprising that new business coming into a firm isn't really captured, uh, you know, as as, I don't know, as, as, they, as they are as important to nurture them, to qualify them and to make them feel as special because they will then in turn become that tenure of, you know, the tenure of 10 years of a client.
1: So we've seen some firms pivot, change, be agile in responding to COVID. They've done things well. Is there any aspect of the accounting sector that you've noticed, Louise, that hasn't evolved, adapted as quickly as it should have done?
3: A lot of firms haven't um, evolved digitally. They've stayed as they were. There has been improvement for some firms.
1: Well, COVID's been a catalyst, hasn't it? It should have been.
3: Yes. And, And that should have been really for firms to seriously think about how they communicate with their clients and prospects but across the board there has been some work done when you're on a firm's website people want to access all the advice that they need Um, they expect to see it there so client hubs for example with all that data there they want to see it and firms that really they're not offering those digital channels they're going to be left behind as opposed to firms that do offer different channels in particular live chat because that is a channel that sort of that sort of demographic from the millennials and under that love to do the text chat so if you've not got that digital channel that they uh, are not going to be evolving as quickly as they should with without that
1: yes you need to be where your clients and prospects are and if you're not there they go somewhere else don't they absolutely yeah so when you look at where Some firms have fallen short. We've hinted at the client experience. There's a lot to get right there, but you're also a a big advocate. I know of accounting firms putting more into the winning new business activity. You think that should be higher on the agenda, don't you?
3: Absolutely. And we did some research earlier this year that around a quarter of the accountancy firms that we profiled, they're planning to grow their practices via new client revenue over the next year. And that focus really is on the digital presence that they're offering, which will reap the rewards for them. And and I think over the last sort of two years, we've done a lot of face, uh, sorry, we've done a lot of virtual meetings and they've been really fruitful. Um, However, the face-to-face networking, obviously it was put on the back burner. Now it's back here. Um, So I think a blend of the two does win uh, new clients, both the virtual and the face-to-face
1: and you're talking about here, business development, that generating, capturing, handling the leads to turn those prospects into clients. That's part of the money penny domain as well, I suppose.
3: Yes. And, you know, a lot of people will reach out to a firm with a, a very simple FAQ and Moneypenny will profile that conversation to find out what that prospect really wants and needs. Um, but that could open up quite a bigger conversation for the firm. So how has
1: the way accounting firms grow when business changed over recent years? You must have seen a a few trends coming out.
3: Yeah, a lot of firms are having dedicated people on their side to look after those new inquiries rather than it go straight to a fee earner where it might not be the kind of client that that fee earner wants. or We don't want to take their time. Uh, unnecessarily so a lot of firms have put somebody in house or given that role to someone to do the deep dive on that inquiry and then assign it in an, with a, an appointment virtually with the right fee earner
1: that's kind of a triage isn't it to say right how important is this how hot is this as a lead where is this best going how urgent is it how do I get it to the right person that's an important part of the process rather than giving them to someone as you say a busy fee earner that wouldn't perhaps give it the attention it deserves yeah Absolutely. In terms of winning business, accounting firms are investing a lot in marketing, lead magnets, content creation, inbound marketing, if you like, thought leadership. It should be generating leads for them and inbound inquiries. It's criminal that firms don't then prioritize the handling of those.
3: Yeah, and a lot of money is spent on marketing in all those things that you've just mentioned. So why you wouldn't put as much importance on that sort of first engagement point, uh, it falls down. So that marketing spend really is, is wasted if you're not going to do an equal importance to get, you know, you're driving people to the firm um and then they come and the don't the phones don't get picked up.
1: Let's get your crystal ball out Louise and look ahead to what's coming up for accounting firms over the next few years. I appreciate it's difficult to predict because we don't know what's coming up in 90 days. But in terms of how accounting firms process their leads, operate that front of house, give a great client experience, can we predict anything with certainty about what's going to happen?
3: For us, we're seeing now firms repurposing some of their staff and restructuring Uh, the last two years has made them look at what they do how they do it the processes in place are they best practice so a lot of firms yeah they're looking at their in-house valuable team even their admin support team and just repurposing those to make use of their skill set within the firm and where possible outsource that other skill
1: Will we ever get to the point where answering the phones is done by bots and robots and things like this, and we never need that human touch?
3: There's a place for that. Is it for accountants? It's not the message I'm getting from the conversations I have. They want red carpet. They want a warm conversation. Um, So I don't think that will ever happen in the accountancy world.
1: You're always very passionate, Louise. I've known you a long time now. It seems like you love what you do. Why do you love it so much?
3: For me, no no firm is the same. No day is the same. So I wake up and, and go to work. I have my set meetings, but then conversations take place. So for me, I, what I love is the variety and giving the solutions and seeing that really quick impact that we can have on, on a business. And then the conversations that then come are oh, why just didn't we do this sooner? So that gives me a lot of fulfillment. When firms try to do it themselves,
1: what are some of the downsides of that?
3: They miss business. Brand protection, they get bad bad name that, you know, people don't ring them back. People don't answer their phones. People are grumpy at that firm because it's the wrong people answering the phone. I think the role of a receptionist or a frontline voice is very understated. It really needs to, it is that person is as important as the CEO in their role. So I think firms can get it wrong and um, it can be quite damaging. But
1: when they get it right, that's a client for life, isn't it?
3: Even if they get it right themselves in-house, that is um, a task in itself to keep on top of that, to keep the training in-house at a high level and make sure the right people are speaking to the the people um, that are contacting their firm.
1: So you say people try and do it in-house. There's presumably a lot of training and certain skills involved, Louise, with getting that first impression right. Is it easy to get people doing it in-house?
3: I wouldn't say it was easy, But I think what you've got is if you've got it in-house and you've got the right person answering the call in-house, that's amazing. But that one person can only answer one phone call at any one time. So the danger that you've got is when that person is on a call and another client comes in at the same time, who answers that second, third and fourth call? So you may think we've got a great receptionist. He or she is very well trained, very warm and friendly that's fantastic. In a a perfect world, one call would come in after the other, after the other, and that person would consistently deliver a great service, but that's not the real world. So the danger is you've got a great receptionist when he or she is on lunch, on annual leave, on another call. The danger then is those calls burst through to the firm and interrupt everybody else that doesn't want to pick up a call and isn't trained. That's an excellent
1: observation because clients don't wait patiently in line until the receptionist is free to take that call, do they? They call when it's convenient for them. And if you want to cover all of the bases, you've got to employ a lot of staff that potentially might be sat idle while the phone is not ringing.
3: Yeah. And that's not cost effective at all. You know, if a firm thinks, oh, well, we on a Monday morning, we have peak time from 9 a.m. till 10 a.m. Realistically, who's got 10 people to sit waiting to answer calls? Talk to
1: us about some of the services then that Moneypenny provide and how they help accounting firms.
3: So typically, accountancy firms usually reach out to us for our core service, which is what we call our overflow. And that's where they've got someone in-house, but as mentioned, when he or she is busy, they need that second line support. So that's where Moneypenny will answer in the business name, profile who they want to speak to and transfer the call into the business, just like their receptionist. Um, So it's an overflow support rather than it going into the firm and being picked up by accountants that just don't want to pick up the phone.
1: Oh, the phone just ringing, ringing. Absolutely. That can all be done from your premises, can you? And You don't need to put someone into the accounting firm.
3: Yeah, that's right. We have a finance sector here, which is at Moneypenny's headquarters. And that's where our team of receptionists only take calls for our accountancy firms. So they're used to the language. So when someone rings and Moneypenny answers and the person says, oh, I need to speak to someone in the payroll department about this, this, and this or I need to organise my tax return. The money penny receptionist, they're used to that conversation. Um, so they know then where to direct those calls depending on the client's screen. So we don't have on site presence. It's all done here and uh, all in the UK, all in North Wales, in under one roof.
1: Do you take just UK clients or could you work for an accounting firm anywhere?
3: We have international clients because we're 24-7 here. Uh, Many accountancy firms tend to have 8.30 till 6pm and Moneypenny is taking that top and tail of the day, but for the larger firms, they want around the clock. So we can answer calls throughout the night and transfer these internationally as well with the time differences.
1: How sophisticated do your people have to be in terms of answering technical questions? There's so many FAQs these days, isn't there?
3: Yeah. And I think to set the, the expectation, we don't go into lengthy conversations with the callers. We are a reception service. So we're there to do a warm greeting. We're there to find out who the caller is, what their call is regarding and get that call through to the right place. So we don't talk about their exact requirement in detail because we're not the qualified accountants. We're there to filter and field in a really um, seamless way
1: and presumably clients or prospects calling would never know that you don't work for the accounting firm.
3: No, and you've probably spoke to Moneypenny yourself hundreds of times and just not realised it if you've rang a firm and uh, been transferred through. People just don't know that it's Moneypenny. And even down to when somebody says, oh, hi, I'm trying to find your office. And is it the one next to the blue door (laughs) and the car
4: park?
3: Well, the Moneypenny receptionist, isn't at the blue door but in our screen we will have directions so we'll be able to talk that caller through yeah I can see where you are if you just go next door but one you will talk you know you can find our front door.
1: I'm guilty I've been that person trying to find an accounting firm office and I've made the call to the front desk saying guide me in that's tremendous apart from the overflow what else do you do for professional firms Louise?
3: So the second service that we deliver is the live chat and many firms conversations I have is we want live chat but we don't have anyone in-house to take those chats so that's why we it's on the roadmap but we've not put it there because we don't know who's going to answer chats and we can only answer chats 9 to 5 30. So four years ago Moneypenny um, started a managed live chat service so that's the software and the people uh, so it's on brand and we answer chats for firms it's amazing it's 24 7 as well. I saw an inquiry come in on Sunday evening at five past five in the evening from a business director wanting to do for his accountancy firm a management buyout. And he um, inquired on that firm's page on our live chat at Sunday at 5pm. So it shows you that we're not really sticking to the 9 to 530 We're on the sofa, we're on our mobiles and we're doing our business affairs even outside of those traditional hours. That's
1: a really good example of the always on culture that we now live in, that if that director had not have got an answer from that firm, he would have gone somewhere else and that business is lost.
3: Yeah. And often we get asked on the chat service, are you a human? That's the first question. Uh, On a Sunday evening, people assume it could be a bot. So you'll see if you're a client, the transcripts, the the beginning often says, are you a human or a bot? So then we say, yeah, I'm a human. I can help you. Uh, And then the next question, they still don't trust that it's not a bot. They think the bot has said they're a human. So they'll say, oh, okay. we'll prove it. What what uh, favorite biscuit Uh, What's your favourite biscuit? So there's a whole dialogue of digestives over hobnobs. And then once the web visitor thinks they are a human, okay, I'll place my inquiry now. And it's a serious inquiry. So you see that a lot. Um, People just don't trust that um, at eight o'clock at night on a Thursday that it is an actual human working. I get
1: that. And I look for the picture of a human rather than some kind of generic avatar and somebody's name. And we'll say, Stephanie, are you there or whoever it is? And when you get a real answer, it gives you a lot of confidence to proceed.
3: And I think, I mean, we've seen over the chat channel, a lot of information is given in the text format in terms of that person's situation. They're quite free to type, you know, my current situation is this. I'm not happy with my accountant because of this, this and this. I want to have an appointment with you to discuss what that looks like so yeah i think the wow factor the human factor and around the clock is is uh, what we deliver on the chat side
1: and as accounting firms are evolving you're evolving too the technology becomes ever more complex and sophisticated what's the biggest thing you're working on right now louise at money penny
3: uh, the biggest thing is microsoft teams integration so more and more people are using teams both internally and externally And um, the Moneypenny delivery integrates with Teams now. We're the only provider that does integrate. So that means if we're answering your calls, because of that integration that we've developed, we now know when you're available and not available to take a call because we can read your presence. So right now, Rob, if somebody rang you and and your call came to Moneypenny, we would know that you were um, maybe uh, unavailable in a red dot so we would take a message from the caller rather than putting them on hold or necessarily trying to transfer them because we know you're unavailable and can
1: you then schedule calls with certain people in a firm with that prospect or that client
3: yes uh, many firms use us with their own sort of calendly or booking links um so whilst we've got someone on the phone that wants an appointment we can book them straight in while we've got them on the call and that, and that drops into the client's diary so that eliminates that telephone tennis
1: It sounds so exciting what you're doing. It's really opened up this world to us of this client experience and that first impression that's so vital. You can see how firms get it wrong because there's such a lot of bases to cover.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I think a firm isn't going to invest in Microsoft Teams integration themselves. So by partnering with Moneypenny, You can have the benefits of all that tech, all that integration. It's not charged for additionally, it's all included in the service. So firms can be at the forefront of all that sophistication without investing themselves.
1: And what do you say to firms that say, look, I don't know how many calls will be coming in, Louise. I don't know how many bots we're going to get. Do you
3: price that accordingly? Um, A lot of firms are like, well, we think it's 20 calls a day or we think we might get three chats a night. Um, So rather than put the finger in the air, we do do trials for the client so that they don't have to commit They can open the door, put the web chat on their website, have a free trial, have a free trial on the telephone. And then during that trial, we can analyze your average daily calls are 30. So price points are this. Your average number of chats coming in are 10. So price points this. So, yeah, we do that with clients that don't know their data.
1: And presumably if the firm is running any marketing campaigns or going to any events and they think there might be an uplift in inquiries, they can build that into your capacity.
3: Yeah, and you know, a client doesn't have to tell us either. So for example, uh, because our services, it's scalable, and it's limitless. So I've got one firm, she, uh, the lady there rang me yesterday and said, because uh, we're overflow, she said, My receptionist is going on holiday next week, so you're going to take all of our calls rather than the ones she can't get to. Do I need to tell you this? I said, Absolutely not. It's scalable. So even if you had an absolute increase of 100%, the Money Penny service, we just answer them all because it's not first agent available here your calls will come in, whether it be one or 50, they'll all answered quickly by the team of finance receptionists. So she was like, oh, that's amazing. So I don't have to worry about a spike or when my receptionist is off. I was like, yeah, that headache's gone.
1: Have you got an army then of great receptionists and call takers there?
3: Yeah, we have got an army. So there's a thousand of us now, a thousand money pennies, and we're recruiting 40 people every month to meet the demand for the live chat and the telephone answering. So, I don't quite know when this building's full, where we're going to sit. Maybe we need to build another wing, but um, yeah, 40 people every month. What do you look for when you hire people for a Money Penny role, Louise? So, it's all on attitude because the Money Penny training is quite comprehensive. So, it's the can do attitude and the helpfulness. That's what's required the warmth, tone, and the helpfulness. So, if somebody's not worked on the phones before, but their CV, maybe they've been working in the care industry. But with our training on our software and it's a one month training program, as long as they've got that attitude, then Money Penny can teach them the rest.
1: We'll put your contact details on the show notes so that people can reach out to you. What does that first conversation look like, Louise, when they call up Moneypenny and they want to engage your services?
3: Um, it's an exploratory conversation where we talk about what they've got in place at the moment and what are their pinch points. And then we share with them. That's on the telephone answering side. We share with them what the solutions could look like. But on the live chat, a lot of firms haven't had live chat before. So it's new territory. So we'll share with them what other firms are gaining from it in terms of stats. And um, yeah, it's great for recruitment because a lot of firms are struggling to recruit. So we know that there's an uplift in um, uh, chat uh, application, uh, job applications. So we'll share with them some sort of case studies.
1: And it's not just the front desk. I imagine if someone called a partner or a director in the company on their direct line and they're out, would you take that call too?
3: Yes, absolutely. So direct dial um, calls can overflow to money penny. So if they're not picked up, say within three rings, they can come to us. We can actually answer the, that direct dial as uh, Graham Hunt's line. How can I help? Because we know it's his direct dial. How can we help? And we'll say, oh, no, Graham's not available. And then we would then send Graham an email to say, please call this client back when you're available. I know Graham, he's always on holiday. (laughs) Goodness, (laughs) you're
1: there picking up the slack. This has been brilliant, Louise. What would an accounting firm be asking themselves that would create a need for money penny? What kind of pain would they be having What kind of flaws in their system would they be seeing? Pain points, if you like, for them to say, quick, let's get Louise on the phone right now and talk about something.
3: I would say to any firm, mystery shop your own firm. Ring your own number. And that is usually how we then get a director or a partner ringing us because they've rang their own number and had a terrible experience. So I would say mystery shop your own number, take that away, see at different points of the day who answers, how they answer, put yourselves in the shoes of a brand new, large potential client. And would you then engage with that firm? I've just seen now that you need to hire another thousand, Louise, because
1: (laughs) accounting firms would squirm at that idea of mystery shopping for of what they might experience
3: but it's not acceptable you know to give lukewarm mediocre service anymore we've become very judgy as consumers and prospects and think about it rob when you ring a company doesn't matter what the service or product is when you ring them for the first time or the second or third time you you're making an opinion of that brand when you ring them particularly if it's 10 ring times you're like crikey have they got any staff there that goes through the mind and then when the grumpy person does answer you think crikey that's not very good i don't know whether i want to purchase that sofa or all those trainers or whatever it might be so i think we become very judgy and in the accounting world i think it's not acceptable to um not deliver a great wow wow factor
1: you said it Louise Wilson. that's been terrific thanks so much for your passion and your insights today So here's what works here with the Accounting Influencer Podcast. I'm Rob Brown, and we're talking today about employer branding. It is a theme this week. I'm speaking more and more about it to accounting audiences, networks, associations, alliances, and accounting firms. We've talked before on this show, Martin Bissett and I, about the war for talent and the great resignation and burnout. And I want to share with you a few statistics today from a presentation that I did for a global alliance just recently and share with you one thing that really, really works for employer branding. There are many things that work, uh, but this is just one of them I wanna focus on today, which is the employee brand website. So a little bit of context. We know if the past two years has told us anything that the future of work and employment, it's impossible to predict. The hybrid working talent shortages Diversity, equity, inclusion, environmental, social governance, the the way we think about, relate to and deliver work. We know that's changed. The pandemic has also reminded us that life is short. And uh, last year and the year before, people around the world found the courage to ditch any unfulfilling roles, any that didn't meet their values, expectations in this great resignation and we got increased attrition talent drain people loss across the accounting profession and pretty much all other sections sectors which raises people costs for all, all kinds of companies and firms two-thirds of uk workers and i have no reason to think this is the different anywhere else two-thirds of uk workers would leave their current employee employer within six months if they weren't happy and so it's critical to recognize the importance of people as a resource and prioritise work environment and employer brand, because those firms that cling to out-of-date practices, they risk losing their best talent. I saw some research that says 60% of accounting firms expect a skills and capacity shortage in coming years. And the pandemic's heightened demand for personal professional development in firms who want to remain competitive. The World Economic Forum predicts that half of employees will require retraining, reskilling, in 2025. We know that fewer people want to become accountants, fewer qualified accountants are entering the labor market, and entry-level positions are often the hardest to fill. So what have we got? We've got a fight over a dwindling, decreasing, declining talent pool in most countries in the accounting profession. So what do we do about it? Well, there are three brands to consider here. There's the personal brand, that's you accountants listening, your personal brand speaks to you as an individual, why you Why hire you, why engage you, why promote you. We've got a corporate brand, and this is where websites come into play because accounting firm websites are often conflicted. They confuse Google because they're trying to do two things. The corporate brand is trying to attract new clients and win more business. So the corporate brand speaks to vision, values of the firm, what you do, who you are, how you work, the questions that you ask clients, your service lines, your sectors, niches of expertise your expert status why you're the advisors of choice and there you'll speak about your target clients the problems they have any client case studies testimonials you might speak about your regional or international experience any awards credentials the tech you use how you help those clients beyond compliance your technical expertise your commercial acumen and that site's all about lead gen content thought leadership it's plugged into your marketing efforts and then that leads onto your funnel, doesn't it? Your pipeline of following leads up, first meeting, closing, converting. But also, your website has a B2C element, business to consumer, because your employer brand is the third brand, and that speaks to talent, doesn't it? The purpose of your site in that respect becomes attracting talent and recruiting talent. So Talent is less concerned about your niches and areas of expertise and your client case studies and your vision so much as why it's great to work for you. So, yeah, a little bit about your vision and values, but they don't care about about your client-centric approach. They care about why you're a great place to work. And this is why Google gets confused by your website because it's trying to attract two different audiences. Your clients want to know what you do. And how you work, but your talent want to know less about what you do because you're an accounting firm, but they want to know about your journey, why you exist, where you're heading, what projects you're working on, uh, who you are, how you work, why people work for you, what makes people stay, why they should come to you and have a conversation with you. They want to know what they get, why it's a fun place to work, though. Your clients don't care about this, but your talent, your potential employees do. And you're also pushing here your current vacancies, your gaps, and how you appeal to school leavers and grads and those senior or lateral hires that are looking for later life career switches. So your employer brand tells a different story to your corporate brand. Your employer brand speaks to your working environment, proof that you support your staff, examples of career progression, people development, How you feel about DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion? What are your policies there? ESG, environmental social governance. CSR, corporate social responsibility. What contributions are you making to society and your communities around you? Your awards, your accreditations, your benefits, the perks, the wellbeing, the work-life balance, the mental health. Your offices, where are you? We talked about the news early this week on, does it matter what city you're based in? Do you have to counter play that or do you include that in your employee value proposition? What are your company financials, facts and figures? What are your demographics? How many women do you employ? How many women are partners? What about blacks and Asians and, and ethnic minorities and even the LGBTQ stuff? What's going on with you behind the scenes? Uh, What are the FAQs there? How do people contact you and have a chat with you? Not about hiring you as an accounting firm, but about coming to work for you. Are you open to a conversation, even though there might not be a vacancy with my area of expertise? So all of this speaks to employer brand. It's giving people a reason to come and talk to you about working there. We know that many accounting firms have fallen short in the pandemic of looking after not just their own clients, but their own staff attrition is at an all-time high employee churn people are getting disillusioned with the workplace if you're not offering flexible working now then you're not an employer of choice and it's a candidate driven market that means candidates have more of a say in the working environment than the clients do it used to be we're a good firm we've got a good brand come and work for us if not bye bye We've got plenty of people knocking on our door, wanting to come and work for us. But that's not the case these days. People are not just leaving one accounting firm to go to another. They are leaving the accounting profession to go into industry or to go into something totally different, starting their own firm, starting their own business that's nothing to do with accounting. This is the great resignation. People are very critical now on examining their lives, recalibrating their priorities and saying, What am I really about here? And do I want to be chained to a desk for 10 to 15 years in the hope of making partner? Do I want to do boring, mundane work? Do I want to work from home exclusively or be made to commute to an office exclusively? How are employers looking after my mental well-being and supporting me in my career journey? Yes, I want support and suggestions, but I also want to have my hands on the steering wheel of my own career And some autonomy in that. So good jobs now in accounting should be talking about flexibility, autonomy, choice, meaning, purpose, team, environment, culture. All of these things come into play, which brings us back to what works with employer brand and attracting people to your firm. Now, there's, like I said, lots of things I could talk about with your recruitment process and your rewarding your people and employee well-being and developing your existing talent and retention and employee advocacy and all of all of these things but let's talk for a moment about the employer brand site the website do you set up a separate site do you have a different part of your site for vacancies we know first impressions matter and if people drop on your site and see that your site says the same as everyone else it makes the same promises it talks all about clients and not necessarily about employer brand. You might have a little bit about your vacancies and contact us if you want to work here. But we know that first impressions matter. Uh, You heard an interview yesterday, if you listened to the show with Louise Wilson, on first impressions, that live chat, that first phone call, the importance of the frontline staff. And it takes seconds for people to decide whether they like your website, whether they like your firm on on the phone if they'll stay, if they'll come and work for you, the talent pool is judging you all the time. And in another episode, maybe next week, I'll I'll dip into this a little bit more and talk about some statistics around your website, how important it is that you get it right with your employer brand, how important it is that you make it mobile friendly, particularly when appealing to the younger generation. But for now, think about separating your employer brand site from your corporate brand website and what you would need to do there. I'm doing work with accounting networks, associations, alliances, and accounting firms to create interviews for them. It, with the, I do all of the interviews for the Accounting Influencers podcast, and, and I love that. But interviewing people that work for your firm and saying, why is it a great place to work there? It says you're employee friendly on your website. It says you've got a zero overtime policy. It says you have a mental health and mental well-being first aided. but how does that really play out? What is your culture like to work there on the ground? So I interview people that work inside a firm The people that have just joined there, what's their onboarding experience like? People that have been there 10 years or are they in senior partnership positions, why have they stayed there? Why have they resisted the lure to go and work somewhere else? These stories play out moderately if you put them in a, a text or a blog or an article or a social media post, but interviewing your people with an impartial, objective voice, asking the tough questions and creating video content for you to then put on your employer brand website, that's a whole different ballgame. And that's something you should look at and I'm happy to help you with that. But for now, here's what works in employer branding. Don't confuse your messaging. Don't give people a reason to switch off your website if they are not a potential client or an existing client. Treat your candidates and potential talent like you're treating your clients and have an employer brand website that lures them in and gives proof of your credentials as an employer of choice and as a strong value proposition for employees. That's what works. There are a million different ways to do that, but it starts with a prioritizing employer brand, not over and above corporate brand, we need both, but giving it equal kudos, cachet, status, so that you will attract the right people amidst the great resignation and amidst the war for talent. That is what works. Now go and spread the word.
0: You're listening to the Accounting Influencers Podcast. Cutting through the crap to bring you the very best interviews, insights, and wisdom. From the planet's most influential people in the accounting and fintech world. With Rob Brown and Martin Bissett. And a big shout out to one of our newest
1: commercial partners here on the podcast, it's Practice Ignition. Martin, how would you explain what those guys do?
2: Businesses such as accounting and bookkeeping firms use Practice Ignition to one, help them grow, two, be more efficient, and three, create win-win client relationships. There are nearly 5,000 accounting and professional services firms around the world who use Practice Ignition, and they do so to win new business with impressive digital proposals, they engage clients with a clear scope of work, and get paid on time by automating payment collection. PI integrates with the leading business apps such as Gusto, QuickBooks, Xero, Zapier, and it does so to automate time-consuming tasks. That means less admin and more time for client drop We've got a special offer from our PI
1: partners. Use the code AIR21 to receive 25% off all plans for your first six months. But that's 25% off with the code AIR21. And the link is info.ignitionapp.com forward slash AIP
2: for cancer influencers. Practice Ignition, it's time to ignite your practice. Welcome
1: to our special guest interview today and I'm thrilled to have with me today one of our Accounting Influencer Roundtable members, Farouk Raja. Good day to you, sir. Hi, Rob. Good morning. Farouk, for people that haven't come across you and the great stuff that you do, just uh, give us a a quick 60-second bio so people get a feel for where you're coming from.
4: My career is, uh, like a lot of people I suspect, spanned accountancy. I qualified an accountant uh, and technology part of that is because i think that when i was starting out in working life technology was just beginning to come into the office environment and quite often it would be the accountants in the office who would end up with with the pc or access to it and and so that just kind of developed into an interest in technology i carried on with the finance work and then you go into coding and then some programming and system implementation and and so um, I, th- I think I think many accountants probably who worked certainly in commerce, would have had a role as a systems accountant somewhere along in their career. And uh, that's really been kind of the two legs that, that have been involved in everything I've done since. And
1: how much has the accounting game changed over the years? You and me have a few years in the bank, as it were, so
4: we've seen a lot of changes. You mentioned the tech, but a lot has changed, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that you can see that as as being an awful lot has changed, but I, I do say sometimes that it is also the second oldest profession in the world, right? And so the the fundamentals have not changed about double entry. And that is helpful in some respects because it gives us a very clear uh, idea of what we're doing and what we're aiming for. But obviously, uh, as the world has become more sophisticated, as organizations have become larger, I think all of that has placed a lot of emphasis on accountants to keep up and and serve the needs of both the new type of business and the new ways of doing business. So you're an accountant by background. What are you doing now? Now I'm involved in a, a startup is probably the the best way to describe it, technology startup. And the problem we're trying to solve is making technology usable and useful for accountants and small businesses so that they can earn more from their efforts. There is a world of capability out there and lots of new software and all types of technology as well, not just software, but it's how do you use it to good effect so that makes a difference to your working life and, and obviously to your business prospects. And we don't think that that is happening right now. Or, and, and our job is to, to to enable that to happen.
1: And it's a fact, isn't it, that accountants have moved beyond having to be technically good and knowing about tax and all of that stuff to being technological. I'm not quite geeks, but they need to know more than turning a computer on and off these days to serve their clients properly.
4: And of course, that's driven by the fact that their clients are using a lot more technology. So, you know, and I think connected to the thing earlier on, who are the go-to people in their lives in business? Uh, You know, accountants end up being pretty much the one constant relationship they have. You know, they'll they'll have a relationship with a lawyer and they'll have a relationship with other, other forms of professional. But, you know, the constant is their accountant. And so it's not uncommon that as they absorb more technology, they go to their accountant to help with that. If not directly, then certainly indirectly. Talk to us through
1: some of the changes in technology that are impacting accountants and how they serve their clients.
4: I think what we're seeing right now is that there's a massive amount of investment and activity in producing brand new software uh, that runs in the cloud. And that software does all sorts of things that uh, previously were done uh, manually. So uh, some good examples are ingestion of documents. Now that's a kind of stepping stone, but the scanning and reading and interpreting an invoice and posting it to the right place in a ledger. You know that that's kind of a lot of historic te- pieces of technology now coming out as product. So so I think that the two or three big themes are that one. Uh, the move to cloud for all businesses meaning that your technology is safe secure you know the upgrade cycle is taken care of for you it's accessible everywhere that's a huge huge step forward and and that's being enabled by you know underlying technologies like uh 5g because it's all very well having it in the cloud but you need it accessible and as soon as you can't get to it you're going to you know you're going to lose, lose lose some interest so so 5g is going to enable that there's a lot of cloud-based software that software is helping do jobs that people did do already but manually and i think that the thing about that is that there's going to be more and more of that the software is getting smarter it's almost a bit like the uh the change in self-driving cars you know there are levels one two three and four right and and level one is just about keeping your speed constant and level four is you know summon the car and it will take you everywhere and we're in a similar thing with software for business which is we are getting Uh, you know, artificial intelligence. So is it really artificial intelligence or is it able to do some lookups, right? The level one stuff versus level four. Uh, Process automation, is it able to do something from end to end, take timesheet information in and pay someone? Or is it able to, you know, just move data from one system to the other? So I I think we're probably at level one approaching level two now. And I suspect that a lot of people might disagree with that, but that's really what we're in the market for, which is to say it is actually out there already. It's just not enough people are using it and we want to increase adoption. I get that.
1: Accountants as a breed are not known for early adoption. They want to see things working for years and years and prove the case for it. but. We can't deny in these COVID times, COVID has enabled remote working through the cloud. Cloud's been the game changer, hasn't it? But I guess you would say it's a lot more than remote working.
4: Yeah, I think cloud is a fundamentally important move in terms of how things are going to be done. And and the simple example uh, I would give is that, you know, if you have a piece of software on your desktop and you buy something that complements it, that has a certain function, we all know now that what you can run on your computer is dependent on obviously the the capability of your machine, the RAM and the, the, the memory, et cetera, et cetera. And you don't have those constraints in cloud. So you could conceivably want to do something and because your simple bookkeeping software is in the cloud, push that query out to IBM's Watson or Google or something where there is a, a, a city's worth of compute power applied to your very simple problem and of course it will get solved instantly so you know I, I think in the consumer space we're seeing it in the business space it's coming but it's not being adopted so in consumer i think translation language translation and i, I was on holiday in china and and the only way i could get around was to speak in my phone and and have it immediately translated and it was fantastic otherwise you know it would have been very very difficult so the cloud has residing within it some very powerful future technology so by moving to the cloud you are then getting into the environment where you'll be able to use that stuff that's i think the bigger benefit of moving to cloud not the access everywhere and you know the the, the constant maintenance
1: With the change in technological transformation, we can put it, what is driving that? Is it the vendors and the creators of the software? Is it the accountants asking for it? Or is it the clients actually asking the accountants to do
4: more? I think there's probably a a mix of pressures to move forward. So pandemic is a good example of something that's an external factor, right? Uh, And and very immediate. And so people had to react. I think the Otherwise, pressure is that it's competition in free markets. You know, it's okay being a ladite and saying, you know, I, I prefer to do it this way. I, you know, people often say, uh, we like to do it this way, or we're comfortable with that. We've always done it this way, right? <laughs> We've always done it this way. Now, that's fine till the guy next door or the girl next door does it differently, and it's better, it's quicker, it's cheaper and it gets the job done and they are then able to do other things that are more valuable. So that is competitive pressure and the competitive pressure comes from, I suppose, one must argue from the customers. The customers want more and better because they see it in the marketplace. Other people are doing it better than you. Other people can turn it around quicker. The quality of what I see being provided by other people is better than yours. Why aren't you doing it? And so that then feeds back into the the accountant and professional advisor and, and whoever the supplier is. Yeah.
1: So you're talking here about the, the trends that are shaping client requirements of their professional advisors. It's no longer that an accountant can do what they used to do a few years ago and keep their clients happy. The clients are wanting more and more. That's driving change. It's driving technology forward, right?
4: The change you can see in day-to-day uh, interactions people have. People are a lot more savvy, you know, I, I don't know what the statistics are, but the number of people starting their own businesses, doing things for themselves, having a side hustle, as they say, and you've got eBay and you've got Amazon, you can go on to be a seller and get global access. So, so there is this buzziness in business, And those people are the ones that are leading the charge in being demanding about what they want then. So, you know, I I sell on the internet, you know, I I, have e commerce uh, accounting needs, you know, can you do that? I I buy crypto, am I, you know, going to get taxed on again? And can you look after that for me? Well, you know, you can say no or you can find out about it and get involved. So society is adopting technology and new ways of working. Change is always described as the only constant, but I think the pace of change is speeding up, and that acceleration, of course, then feeds back into the people who support the people carrying out that change.
1: So what are the barriers then? What's stopping the change, particularly in accounting firms? They, We know they've got to change their approach and, and their uh, adoption of technology in
4: this new world, but they drag their heels a little bit sometimes. What are the main blockages? Yeah, I think we have to be Fair and reasonable when we look at the barriers to change, whether it applies to accountants or small businesses, because uh, I, I think they you know very very similar issues. And I'd and say there are three things that I'd bring right to the top. You know, having having spent a lifetime helping people change the way they do things and change the systems that they do. One is resistance to change. We we none of us like to have you know uh, things changed around us. You know, you will see that in everyday life when people are surprised by, oh, don't, sorry, that train is not running. So now you've got to get a bus service in, oh my God, how am I gonna get there? You've got this meeting and they've changed the venue. You know, and We don't like change and that manifests itself in everything. So resistance to change is a perfectly natural human thing. And everybody has it, and people in business have have it. The second thing is small businesses, particularly, and if you look at the uh, you know the analysis by McKinsey's or Harvard or whatever, one of the key things they identify is that there's a scarcity of resource. The small businesses don't have spare cash, oftentimes they don't have surplus resources, they don't have redundancy, and change is hard business. So they've got a business to run. They're not flush with cash. They have to be very, very careful how they prioritize what they uh, do with it. So actually, lack of resources is one of the barriers. If you gave people in business, and particularly small businesses, free resources, free cash for a set period of time or a set amount, you, you will see them change. So it's a very practical thing. And then the third thing is, and this applies to the smallest to the largest, If we're doing something, particularly in business, we always have an eye on preserving what we've already got. You don't want to make changes and lose everything you had. But in a small business, that's your livelihood. That's that's paying the bills. So there is a fear and a need to protect what you already have. Of those three, I would pull out resistance to change as the key one. Why? Because that's the one you can readily do something about. That's the one you can say, OK, I'm in a competitive landscape, things are changing, customers are becoming more demanding. And also though, they are willing to probably pay more for better uh, value services. What can I do to put me ahead of the competition? Well, the first thing is you can decide that you want to improve things and you want to make changes and that you don't have to pay for and you can do tomorrow. And that is one of the three biggies. So it's in people's hands.
1: That makes sense we need to change, it's forced upon us in many ways, but if we don't change, we risk becoming obsolete, we risk becoming irrelevant. So have you got any examples of accounting firms that are getting this new
4: approach right, Farouk? I think you see the market now separating into different groups of accountants. And what I mean by that is how many accountants do you see now that have cloud in their names, right? And that is not just, a kind of word, but it's a statement of intent because what you find with those guys is that they are then adopting the new technologies, number one, and having adopted those technologies, they are moving towards providing services that the new technologies have freed them up to do. Right, so either they're having more time to do these new advisory type of services, or they're getting capability from those systems so that they're able to do the kind of thing that otherwise would have taken a long time to prepare, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And you know, so so the, the other group I'd say is there. There are a lot of new accountants. That's noticeable from what we're doing and the people we talk to, and of course as always in life, the new people start with new stuff. So there is now this separation and and kind of like the £64,000 question, which is, is what is going to be the function of accountants in future going to be achieved through a transition of accountants now to different ways of doing things? Or is it going to be that, you know, there's going to be a slow retirement out of the old ways of doing it, replaced by new people and new ways of doing it. And I think that's a question that everybody's probably wondering about now.
1: Well, you're touching on the future there. If we get your crystal ball out, what is coming up over the next few years with the accounting profession and what will the great firms and accountants look like compared to just the good and the average?
4: Uh, so first thing, it, looking ahead and looking in the future is it, always bedeviled, isn't it? We, we, we're, we're looking a complete fool after the event. I, I'm always reminded of the uh, the the first of those uh, futuristic Blade Runner movies where there was an automated taxi and, and they had a mannequin in the front that would turn around, right? That was the vision of a self-driving automated car. And of course, it's going to be no such thing because there won't be a driver, let alone a steering wheel and all of that. Predicting the future... Obviously, everybody knows very hard. I think for accountants and for small businesses, I think you're going to move to qualitative things rather than quantitative things. And and people are talking about data is and new oil. Now these things they fly around, and people are not quite sure. You know, does that even impact their life? Does it mean anything to them? And I'd say it absolutely does. So if I give you the example of a small engineering company I'm involved with. Their sales are rocketing. And it's because they are selling a product which enables electric charging. Fantastic market to be in, it's just exploded. What do they need? Obviously they have to have bookkeeping and need to know what their management accounts position is, did they make money and what kind of margin. But they want to know who's buying our stuff, Who's buying it at the best prices? Where is the likely demand going to be in the coming three months? How much do we need to pre-order so that we can save on the logistics costs, which are going through the roof? What I'm saying there is, accountants will be the people that they will come to, to say, help me with these things. Give me some advice about what I need to do because my business needs to you know move in a different direction up down or sideways but more importantly it'll need to do it quickly so i think there's there's a lot of talk about you know compliance versus advisory etc i think accountants have all those skills it's just having the time and the tools to be able to deploy them for their customers but their customers live in an ever changing and fast changing world now and so they're going to come and ask and they're going to obviously stay with the people who can provide the answers.
1: Yes, that makes sense. And I read somewhere recently that the average age of an accountant is 52, 53. The average age of a business owner is now in the 30s, mid 30s. So there's this new breed of business owners and entrepreneurs coming through that want to be served by professional advisors that have a handle on the technology and they know what's going on and they can move beyond the compliance. So I guess that's one thing we can be certain of in the future that accountants that don't step up and embrace the technology, they're going to struggle.
4: I think it's true in every industry. I think it's probably more pointed with professional advisors and particularly accountants. I think it, it, it's gonna be true for lawyers as well. You know, I personally have experience of weeks and weeks of contracts being drawn up and which I think, well, you know, we did this three months ago and we're now doing the same thing. Is it gonna be more painful for accountants? I, I kind of think so, because you know, there are five million small businesses in the UK and depending on whose numbers you look at 30,000 accountants in practice yeah so to my mind the needs of that 5 million to keep up with change keep up with technology keep up with the you know dynamic nature of the world is going to need to be addressed by that much much smaller group so it is going to be hugely challenging for some and a fantastic opportunity for others.
1: Faruqi, people want to have a conversation with you, we'll put your details in the show notes, but just tell us real quickly about your integration and automation platform for accountants and their clients.
4: Going back to what I said earlier, our job is really to say there's lots of fantastic technology out there and what people need to be able to know which is good technology to implement it To integrate it and then use it to good effect. So, to make sure that you don't end up doing 80% and then have to do 20% on paper or in a spreadsheet or whatever, which is actually a huge loss. You know, you kind of have this efficiency curve and then it falls off because you've got a break in a process. So, what we have done is we've created a platform that says, and focusing on accountants, it says, We've looked at the technology that's available in the marketplace. We've evaluated the best for each job that you might need to do. So the best document management systems, the best bookkeeping systems, the best payroll system, best practice management systems. We've picked the top ones and we've built the integrations already so that when you say, okay, I choose to have these products or I already have these products, that they will interact with each other as if they were part of one big platform. This is an old debate that's gone on for years and years, single platform versus best of breed. What we're creating is a best of breed integrated platform as a service. So you can choose the things that you want to use or you're already using, but they will work with the other products that you've chosen seamlessly, but in a way that it does the things that you need them to do as an accountant. So this is not integration tools, it's integrated processes. So I'll collect information, uh, you know, for timesheets for, time for staff here, and I want that to end up with a payment uh, ready for approval in a bank account. Why should that require human intervention on the way through? Our belief is it shouldn't, and that's what we're trying to eliminate.
1: Sounds great. Global domination beckons. Through it's been terrific. Would you leave us with some words of encouragement for the accountants and the accounting terms generally that are listening? and want to get ahead of the game. They know that technology is coming, it can't be held back. They want to embrace it. They're perhaps a little bit scared by what's going on, but they want to serve their clients well. These are good people wanting to make a difference and wanting to embrace the new world. What words of advice would you give to them in closing?
4: yeah i mean i'm a big fan of accountants as i said i'm an accountant i used the term the other day just off the cuff but i think i might i might continue to use it i firmly believe it's almost like a superpower and we take too much for we, and we take so much for granted that accountants know and the tragedy is that um what people want in business from their accountants the accountants already have in their head. It's the obstacles of doing the day-to-day that is depriving them of the time to provide that advice. Let's not use the word advisory. And the words of encouragement would be to say, just please recognize that what you have is highly valued by the people you served. If only you could bring to bear the stuff they value rather than spend your time doing the stuff that has to be done.
1: There's a term called proximity bias. You may have come across it, through. It's where we get so close to what we do that we don't see the brilliance of it. It becomes so mundane and run of the mill, if you like for us, so ordinary, so everyday that we don't see how valuable it is to people that don't live in our world. And accountants are super smart, technically brilliant, but often undermine their powers.
4: Of course, we're only human, right? So the resistance to change, the, you know, the fear of uh, new stuff, that applies to everybody. I, I think for me, you know, the most wonderful resource in the universe we know of currently is the human brain, right? And, and accountants have it stuffed with all sorts of fantastic skills and then experience. And I'm saying that's locked away behind, you know, compiling and, and you know, comparing and, and, and it shouldn't, you know, if you could produce a few projections, that you can help your client interpret, this is good for your business, you should do a lot more of that, which you will be able to see as soon as the numbers are available to you. That's the, the wow factor in what accountants could, could do for their business clients. And it's just not being done enough. But because there are these obstacles, as we discussed earlier, they're getting in the way of accountants having the time. You've got this uh, you know, vicious uh, circle, or, or they call it virtuous spiral, isn't it? If you have more time, you'll be able to give better advice. When you give good advice, people will want more of your advice and be prepared to pay more for it. And it it gets virtuous. Whereas at the moment, I think too many people are stuck in, well, you know, it took you a week to a month to turn around these accounts. They're already three months out of date. And you can only spare me five minutes to say, here they are, I need you to sign them. I'm I'm, I'm not really going to want to pay an awful lot for that, am I?
1: Well, Farouk, that's a really strong call to action there for the accountants listening. We can all raise our game. Thank you so much for your inspiration
4: and your insights today. Absolute pleasure. Lovely speaking to you, Rob. You take care now.
0: This is the Accounting Influencers Podcast with Rob Brown and Martin Biffy.
1: That brings us to the end of another episode of the Accounting Influencers Show. you can listen to the full show that goes out on a Monday featuring top-class interviews with leaders throughout the accounting fintech world a new segment where we don't just analyze the news, but tell you what it means for you. And here's what works. Practical segment for you accounting practitioners to help you raise your game, upgrade your skills and serve your clients better. Thank you for tuning in at our 25,000 listeners in 150 countries. We're growing by hundreds every week. It's the only daily accounting fintech show out there. We really appreciate you sponsoring us, being with us, reviewing us, thanking us. You our commercial partners, you our listeners. Keep sharing it with your friends, Do leave us a review on whatever platform you listen to on. And thank you for tuning in. We'll see you on next week's show.